Good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2 this evening. And we want to pick our, pick our study up, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 through 15, completeness in Christ explained is what I'm calling the message here this evening. So let's uh, pray and then we'll get into our study here. Lord, again, I thank you for each one that's able to come out tonight. Pray that you would bless our study. Also, the, uh, the girls, as they are studying tonight, I pray for their Bible study to go well. The, the teens and the moms and those involved in that study, we just ask your blessing on that time as well. So we commit our time of prayer, our time of study to you now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you note the theme here, emphasizing the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. And that is really what we have in Colossians. In chapter 1, we have a tremendous emphasis on the, the person of Christ as well as the work of Christ. And it goes together. The reason Christ's work is sufficient is because of who he is. So who he is and, and his work go together. And uh, we note as we move into chapter 2, then he begins a strong emphasis on application. And he says in chapter 2, verse 3, speaking of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not some, but all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he follows it up in verse 4 by saying, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you through persuasive words. There were false teachers coming along who were saying, You know, Christ isn't everything. I mean, yeah, the truth of what the apostles are saying is part of it. But now we Gnostics have some special insights that you need to know on top of that. Uh, what the apostles are presenting is not all, all sufficient. Not everything is found in Christ. Paul says, oh, yes, it is. And I'm telling you this so that no one deceives you. And then you go down uh, a little bit further. Uh, we come to verse 8. And again, he brings this out where he says, <clears throat> uh, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, not according to Christ. And so again, his warning is that they bring in something else other than Christ. And he says, don't let anyone cheat you in that way. And then he says, verse 9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, fully God in man, fully God and fully man in one. And then he says, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. So once again, emphasizing the sufficiency that is found in Jesus Christ, that we are complete in him. There is nothing lacking. There is nothing missing. Well, that uh, is really the key emphasis here in the book of Colossians, uh, the sufficiency that is found in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to uh, where we are in our study tonight. Uh, somebody want to read verse 11? I think we'll, we'll break these up one verse at a time. There's, there's a lot in these verses. Somebody want to read uh, Colossians 2, 11? Yeah, Jeff. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay, thank you. So, uh, <clears throat> in him, now that is uh, one of the uh, descriptive phrases that we find throughout the book. In him, which refers to being in union with Christ. Uh, in him, uh, you were also circumcised. Uh, we saw there... In him dwells all the fullness, verse 9. Uh, you are complete in him, verse 10. Now, continuing on with that. In him you are also circumcised. What kind of circumcision are we talking about here? Yeah, spiritual. Uh, it's it's uh, very clearly qualified here. Circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. 
So a circumcision made without hands is, is a spiritual reality. It's not a physical reality. So we're not talking literal circumcision here. We're, we're talking spiritually. By the, the qualifier here is, is very clear. So this is a major tip that at this point Paul is using some metaphorical language. We're going to have to w- wonder about it. I mean, it's qualified very clearly. Uh, circumcision made without hands. That's a non-physical circumcision. And uh, this is important because uh, where we go in the discussion here, <clears throat> biblically, circumcision goes back to Genesis. Physical circumcision goes back to Genesis 17, God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants. It was a sign of the covenant relationship between them as a people and God. Circumcision was only a sign. I mean, we just need to leave it right there, right? It was only a sign. It was an important sign, but it was only a sign. It didn't make relationship with God. It merely acknowledged it. It was to be the counterpart of an inward faith. Paul makes a major point in Romans 4 to show that Abraham was justified by faith before, many years before he was circumcised. And that circumcision contributed nothing to his salvation. Uh, That is a very important point because these people who want to tie now baptism as the corollary to circumcision, uh, now all of a sudden want to make that a part of salvation, that somehow that brings a baby into the new covenant, for example, or whatever. Uh, it hasn't had nothing to do with, with salvation other than being a sign. It was a sign, but it had to have a corresponding inward part. Uh, Paul is very clear in Galatians 6.15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. It doesn't do anything. Really what matters is a new creation, becoming a new creation in Christ, which is what he's describing here in Colossians. So uh, circumcision, uh, no. Uh, Physical circumcision doesn't avail anything one way or the other. Uh, so the Jews, though, as you went along in history, they did confuse the outward sign with inward reality. And uh, it was all about the outward experience, the ritual, starting with circumcision and going through these outward motions. And they really missed the reality of the heart, which is the real issue. Um, <clears throat> I guess, let me see here. I got one more slide to show you here. Romans chapter 2. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. He's talking about, you know, a full spiritual Jew. Uh, Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. So it's not about outward. But he is a Jew, one who is in a true covenant relationship with God, one who truly belongs to God, is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about a spiritual circumcision, not, not a physical one. And one more slide here then. Two things to note here. One, physical circumcision in the Old Testament was given to the Jews, not the Gentiles. It was never given to Gentiles. Uh, yet here Paul is speaking to an audience that is largely Gentile in makeup. It's interesting. That's, that's his audience at Colossae. Number two, the circumcision in view here is made without hands. That is not physical in view of spiritual circumcision at the time of conversion. And so uh, note that. And then he goes on to explain it by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. And really the the older manuscripts leave out that little part of the sins because I think he's really dealing with 
the sin nature itself, not, not just the, the sins per se, but the nature, the sin nature, uh, when he says, by putting off the body of the flesh. That's what the older manuscripts literally read here. By putting off the body of the flesh. It's a decisive putting off. Uh, it's a circumcision made without hands in which uh, there's a putting off of the body of the flesh. Uh, something happens here. It's a spiritual surgery that relates to the very nature of the flesh, the sin nature. And uh, again, I think this is talking about the sin nature. And uh, my next slide here. <clears throat> In conversion, the sin nature, the flesh, has been severed of its power by Christ on the basis of his work on the cross. Note they were circumcised in the past, namely at the time of conversion. As a believer, you still have the flesh, but its ruling power has been severed, uh, which is the point of Romans 6. By the way, that, that's really the prolonged emphasis there in Romans chapter 6. You're now dead to sin. You are no longer in bondage to it. You are now free and empowered to obey Christ. Christ has set you free from sin. He has severed the power of the flesh from its rule over you. Uh, the only reasons you sin as a believer are either because of ignorance or you choose to do so. I don't know that you as a believer can say, well, I could not help it. I have to sin. You have to sin? I don't see that. You might want to bring a verse if you're going to take that position. I'm pretty sure you're dead to sin. That's what the Bible says. There's been a spiritual operation called circumcision here, uh, which resulted in the putting off of the body of the flesh. And what that means is not that the flesh has been completely removed from you. That awaits glorification. But the, the ruling power of it has been broken. You are now dead to sin. You say, I don't believe it. That's the problem. You have to believe it. And you have to account it to be so, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6. That's where victory begins. So, uh, and he says there specifically, by the circumcision of Christ. Uh, this is performed by Christ. This is spiritual surgery that has been done by Christ. It's a, it's a miraculous thing. It's not something you do, did. It's something Christ did. Uh, and that has resulted in a change of relationship with sin, as well as their change of relationship with Christ. They go together. But uh, certainly, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All the old relationships have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have a new relationship with the devil. You have a new relationship with sin. You have a new relationship with the world. Everything has become new. Uh, you're a new creation. All of that's in, in view. All right, any other thoughts there before we go on to verse 12? We're talking metaphorically here when we talk about circumcision. And that's going to carry through, I think, as we go on in the text here too. All right, well, if there's nothing else, let's have somebody read verse 12 as we continue on with the thought here. Yeah, Jeanette. Okay, so now we're going to bring in baptism. We've talked about circumcision, right? Now we're going to bring in baptism. Well, what do you think? Uh, is, uh, is it metaphorical baptism here, or is it literal baptism here? Uh, again, I think we're talking spiritually. We're talking figuratively. And I think he's continuing this idea of metaphorical uh, connotations here when he says, buried with him in baptism. So uh, let's see here. The word baptism, just like the word circumcision, has a literal meaning as well as a metaphorical usage. 
It's good to note that because people, sometimes when they get baptism in their head, everywhere they read, they just read a literal water baptism. Uh, but the word is used in different ways. There is general agreement that the word circumcision is used in this context in a metaphorical way. But some then want to say that the word baptism here is used in the same context in a physical way. That's inconsistent. Paul is not talking about physical baptism any more than he's talking about physical circumcision. Both are used in a metaphorical sense as Paul is describing the believer's relationship with sin and their relationship with Christ. And uh, so that's really, I think, what's in view here when he talks about buried with him in in baptism. Now, in in relationship to uh, uh, metaphorical baptism, what kind of baptism are we talking about then, do we suppose? We're not talking a physical baptism here, right? What are we talking about? Yeah, it's a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual reality of identification with Christ. Baptism always has the idea of identification. And here the identification is that we are identified, uh, buried with him uh, in baptism. And so I think, again, he's using metaphorical language, which really relates to spiritual reality. If you're going to tie it to anything here as far as um, uh, baptism, you would tie it to spirit baptism. Um, I agree with MacArthur at this point, who says this. Some see support in 2.12 for baptismal regeneration, but Paul would hardly replace one rite with another, arguing that the change from spiritual death to spiritual life, which is what we're talking about, is affected by water baptism, would make Paul as much of a ritualist as those he was condemning. Water baptism is no more in view in 2.12 than physical circumcision was in 2.12. Both verses speak of spiritual realities. I think that's absolutely true. Again, he's talking metaphorically all the way through here in terms of our identification with Christ, our spiritual identification with Christ. And then he goes on to say here, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So we have been co-buried with Christ and we've been co-raised with Christ. And uh, notice he says here, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. That phrase, through faith, is key. Uh, How does this happen? How does this spiritual reality come to be in place? Well, it happens through faith. Through faith is key. I mean, we're justified through faith. We have eternal life on the basis of faith. This happens in conjunction with faith. Through faith in the working of God. So again, this emphasizes it's a spiritual reality. Because faith is a spiritual reality. The whole flow of thought here is in relationship to spiritual realities and not physical ones. Uh, Through faith in the working of God. It's all God's doing. And we believe that God does it. And God does it when we put our faith in God who has the power to raise the dead, which he did in the person of Jesus Christ. But it's all God's working. It's all God's doing. It's not what we do. Um, in metaphorical language, Paul is saying that we are now dead to the flesh because of Christ's work. The old man is now buried because of our identification with Christ. The whole point is that the believer's entire relationship with sin has been altered because of Christ and our spiritual union with him. And I would emphasize there too, it's uh, affected, it's put into place through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 
So we believe in God who has the power to raise the dead. And uh, that is the nature of our faith. Okay. Um, all right. Any other thoughts there? Yeah. 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 Cutting off of the old, right? Yeah. Yeah, of circumcision. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So, yeah, to try to make that the equivalent now under the new covenant. Well, Paul didn't do that. And that's, yeah, that's right. That's a good point. Yeah, Andrew? Uh, well, I would argue it, there was definitely a spiritual component to it. Uh, you know, you go back to Deuteronomy, he talks about the circumcision of the heart. And he says, that's the problem here. There's no circumcision of the heart. So I, I think there was a spiritual reality there too. There, really, physical circumcision was, was the outward sign that these were the covenant people of God. But there definitely had to be a faith reality in the heart in order to be a true Jew, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2. So uh, there, there definitely had to be a heart reality. Deuteronomy, I don't have the reference right now. Somebody can look it up here. But in Deuteronomy, it talks about their problem is they needed to have a circumcision of the heart. And so, yeah. Right. So there was no, no faith action. Right. Right. And and that's where confirmation comes in and with covenant theology. You know, you, you have the baby baptism, but then it needs to be confirmed later, you know. And so you see the blending of, of things here. Uh, am I missing your question? Right. 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 
I think it's a, it was a reflection that these were God's chosen people, that they were a set-apart people, and circumcision was an indication of that. But I think what the Jews missed is they left it there. Instead of realizing, oh, no, we have to have our own personalized faith as well. So definitely there had to be a faith component. I mean, you cannot have a relationship with God without faith. So, yeah. Right. Right. A true Jew, as, as Paul would say, right? So, yeah, there's kind of two levels here. I mean, outwardly, they are God's chosen people. We would say Israel today is still God's chosen people. And yet they're not what we call a completed Jew until they come to have a faith relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So there are those two, two different levels, so to speak. But, yeah, Tom? Yes, but you do have this language that they need to be circumcised in the heart. Did somebody find this in Deuteronomy? Okay. You want to read it? And, of course, that's kind of prophetic of looking down the way what God's going to do. But he is saying that they do need to come to the point where there's a circumcision in the heart. And no, that's, a, that's a prophetic reference there. Deuteronomy 30. Yeah. Yeah, it would be a good word study here to start comparing the circumcision of the heart in different places in the Old Testament because there's a good number of those references. And even when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, like, are you a teacher in Israel and don't you know these things about being born again? I mean, there were some spiritual realities that were referenced in the Old Testament. And, you know, yeah, they weren't born again, born of the Spirit like we are in the New Testament. That's true. But there still had to be repentance. There still had to be a, a change of heart, uh, what I would say is a circumcision of the heart, which ultimately God is behind. It's not on the level that we see in the New Testament with all the accompanying New Covenant relationship realities, but I still think in the Old Testament, the problem was they had a heart problem that had to be dealt with. Yeah. A clean, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, that's true. And I think it's very closely tied to this concept of repentance, you know, where, where there's a change of mind with regard to sin. 
that results in a, in a change, you know, of life. And so, okay, yeah. One more reference, okay. In, in Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy? All right. I'm waiting for this other one. That wasn't one that I was thinking about. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Deuteronomy 10, 16. Ah. There you go. That's the reference I'm thinking about. Yeah, so he, he's telling those people of his day, you know, you got a hard heart problem. There needs to be a circumcision of the heart. Uh, fast forward, I don't know that we're talking exactly the same thing now as we get to the New Testament of the circumcision made by Christ. Uh, the emphasis there is that they should circumcise their heart, right, Jeremy? Yeah. So it's, it's like he's calling for a change of heart. And uh, here, you know, Christ is clearly doing this spiritual operation, which results in, in a whole different um, relationship with sin. So, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, in the Old Testament? No. Right. Right. Yeah. And we kind of get to, you got to look at context and what's being described in a certain context. Uh, what I see in the Old Testament is they had hard hearts. They needed to repent of that. They needed to have, you know, a change of heart. That's what's being described there. Here he's really describing the spiritual operation that Christ performs in conjunction with faith. So, yeah. Okay, well, that's good discussion. Very good. Let's go on and uh, let's have somebody read verse uh, 13 now. Verse 13. Who wants to read that? Okay, so yeah, there is a package going on here. He's talked about, uh, you know, through faith uh, in the working of God uh, who raised him from the dead, verse 12. Now he's talking about uh, you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Uh, he has made alive together with him, uh, having forgiven you all trespasses. So, so there is a flow of thought that's interwoven here. And now he jumps back to where we were prior to salvation. You being dead in your trespasses. That's where we were prior to what is happening here, what is being described prior to salvation. We were, we were dead in our, in our trespasses. Trespasses are violations. Uh, violating God's boundaries. Violating God's law. That's the idea of a trespass. Uh, here's the rule. Here's the law. And you violate it. That's the idea of a trespass. And uh, when it says you were dead in your trespasses, what, is, what do you suppose that means? Dead in your trespasses. It's interesting. People have all kinds of ways of describing being dead in sin or dead in trespasses. But life really is the idea of union with God. Death is separation from God. Really, the word death itself means separation uh, we often talk about physical death. The soul is separated from the body. Uh, and so we were separated from God in our trespasses. We did not have a relationship with God, is the idea. Yeah. Well, I think you're right there. You've got a cross-reference in Ephesians 2.12, uh, 
without hope uh, and not knowing God. How does it say that? I got it written down here. Having no hope and without God in the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, we, we come separated from God. I mean, as far as our natural condition, we're, we're born into that context. Well, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's true. Of course, we can get into the whole age of accountability and all of that. But yeah, that's true. Yeah, we're, we're born sinners. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, very good. Um, you... This is where we were prior to salvation, being dead in your trespasses. Uh, We were without God and without hope in the world. That's where we were. We were separated from God because of the fact that we had violated his law. And the uncircumcision of your flesh. uh, The idea here is we were not cut off from our sin nature. I think flesh here is talking about, again, the sin nature. Uh, Again, getting back to what you're saying, we were born with this condition. Well, we didn't acquire it somewhere. We come that way. We were born in our sin. And so uh, here we were. Uh, We were sinners by practice in our trespasses, dead in our trespasses. That's our practice. And uh, our nature, our flesh nature. So this was our state. We were in a state of helplessness and hopelessness, cut off from God. That's where we were. But now God has done something. And remember that phrase, through faith, in verse 12, but he has made alive together with him. We've been brought into a life reunion, a life union uh, with Christ. Uh, God has done this. He has made alive together with him. And so this is, this is all God's doing as we work our way through everything we're seeing here. In him, they experienced spiritual circumcision. They were buried with him in spirit baptism. Uh, They were raised with him through faith, and they were made alive together with him. This is all really a package here, a spiritual package of what happens in salvation. And again, I want to emphasize through faith. It doesn't happen apart from faith. Um, Okay. Um, Ultimately, the issue here is union with Christ. And then he says having forgiven you all trespasses. Uh, this word forgiven is a, the root word is the word grace, related to the word grace, uh, emphasizing uh, what's been freely done. It's not based on merit. Uh, having forgiven you all trespasses, not some, all trespasses, all violations of his law. Uh, and so again, the emphasis here is There's nothing incomplete here. We have complete provision for complete forgiveness, a complete salvation at the moment of saving faith. All right, any other thoughts? Okay, let's have somebody read verse 14. We're continuing on with Paul's sentence here. Yeah, John. Okay, love that verse. I love verse 14. All these verses are good. But having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. 
Um, this is emphasizing the total forgiveness. Again, the completeness that we have in Christ. Total forgiveness in Christ. And the sufficiency of Christ. Paul, in verse 14, is describing the law. In the Old Testament times, the Jews were under the law of Moses. They were obligated to keep all the law all the time. However, Gentiles were also under God's moral law in a different sense. That is, in the sense that they were accountable for the law of God written on their hearts. In the final analysis, all people are accountable to the standard of God's glory. That is why the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, this is the condemnation of the, of the whole of humanity. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The, the, the glory standard of God, which was revealed in the law of Moses, but it's also written on the heart of, of a person. And so, whoops, did I lose it? There we are. Let me see if this is what I wanted. I don't know, am I ahead of myself? Nope, I guess not. <laughs> I don't know where I am now. <laughs> anyway, can you help me out? I'll wait. Okay, thanks. All right. Uh, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. Uh, this is a record of the requirements that God has. Uh, again, under the law, there were 613 laws. Some, some you had to do, some you were forbidden from doing. But uh, these really are valid charges against us. And uh, are we lost to the abyss here? My next slide was talking about what the Romans would do. Like over the cross of Christ, they put the charges. And Rome would put the charges. And, and this is the idea here. Okay. Yeah, let me go here. Thank you. You did bring it up. <laughs> uh, in the Roman world, when a criminal was crucified, the charges against him were written down and nailed to his cross. But now those forgiven, all the charges have been wiped out. Wiped out is an intensive word, meaning to remove by wiping off as when a blackboard or a whiteboard is erased. So all the charges against us have been wiped out. Uh, having wiped out the handwriting of the of requirements that was against us. And again, the law, the law was not an ally for us. Notice it says, which was contrary to us. You know what the law said? Guilty. Have you ever told a lie? Guilty. Uh, have you ever had a uh, an immoral thought, whoever looks on a woman has committed adultery, guilty, 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 guilty. Right down the line. Lawbreaker, lawbreaker. That's what the law says. It's like a mirror, and, and the mirror looks ugly. <laughs> what, what we see in there, it's not good. It was contrary to us. As I say, it was, our, it was never our ally. It was hostile. It was a hostile witness in the court. And uh, we are guilty. And the law threatens us with death because the penalty for breaking the law is death. But now all that's been wiped out. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way. He did this. He removed this barrier. And it's in the perfect tense. 
All this, all these charges that were against us, uh, they've been removed. He has taken it out of the way. No more. Nothing, sin is what separates us from God. All these charges that are, that are against us really are what separates us from God. But he has now taken it out of the way. And how did he do that? Having nailed it to the cross. All, our char- all those charges against us were put on Christ on the cross. All them were nailed to the cross. Christ has made full payment. He took us from condemnation under sin to where now where we stand in grace, perfectly uh, robed with the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we've been placed in that position by grace because of the cross. It's all been taken out of the way, having been nailed to the cross. All right. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. So here is Well, I think that's true, especially as you get into the Hebrews. We're not under that old covenant in any way, shape, or form anymore. But... You know what you're talking about? I always find this interesting in Romans chapter 3, in verse 19, where he says, Now we know that the, what the law says. It says to those who are under the law. Well, who was under the law? Well, the Jews. But then it says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So I think even though the Jews were under the law and they were violating the law, this is really indicative of the whole of humanity. I mean, we have that law written on our hearts too. And even though they had it spelled out for them and were under that code, we too are guilty of breaking God's moral law, his holy law. And so, yeah, I think, therefore, this, this handwriting that applied to them has application for all of us. And it's all been taken out of the way. All those charges against us in terms of violating, trespassing, uh, have been nailed to the cross to where we go free. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan. 
Yeah. Yeah, 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 and especially the law as it reflected the, the moral law, if you will, of God. I mean, God never changes as far as his character, and that's reflected in the law. So, yeah, fulfill is a good, it's a biblical word. I mean, it's a Matthew 5 word, right? Think not that I'm, I came to destroy, but I came to fulfill the law. So, yeah, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. All right, good discussion. Let's finish out here. Um, Verse 15, who wants to read that? Yeah, Albert. Okay, so really the emphasis all the way through here is completeness in Christ and total deliverance. Total deliverance from the penalty of sin. Uh, remember, he's talking about, in verse 13, forgiving you all trespasses. And I think that relates to what we were talking about, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, all of our violations of it. But then he really relates to uh, the demonic powers, the devil and the demons, having disarmed the principalities and powers. Uh, they are a defeated foe, really, is the idea of disarm them. And disarm them in a way that's uh, humiliating to them. Uh, this uh, phrase uh, in my New King James, principalities and powers, this is used of angels by Paul eight times. It can refer to holy angels or fallen angels, depending on the context. Clearly, fallen angels are in view here. The rank of fallen angels. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Public spectacle. Who saw it? Well, uh, we didn't see it in the spiritual realm, right? So I, I take it this really is happening in the spiritual realm. Uh, this, is, this is where this uh, spectacle took place. Um, help. <laughs> Oops. There we go. Yep. Well, that, yeah, that, that's part of it, perhaps. Um, you know, the thing is, as far as a public spectacle, uh, only believers saw the risen Christ. Unbelievers never saw it. They saw the, the effects. They saw the, you know, the empty tomb. But only believers ever saw the, the risen Christ. And so we're going on the testimony uh, of, of them. So anyway... Um, I tend to think we're talking really the spirit realm when it talks about triumphing over them in it. Uh, the, you know, you have other references in the New Testament where, and even here in Colossians as we go on, uh, where Christ did go to the spirit realm here. And there was a triumph over them in, in that realm. And so with that idea here, uh, he made a public spectacle of them, which means he put to an open shame in the spirit realm. In the Roman Empire, when a Roman general was victorious in battle, the enemy would be shamed. They would often be stripped naked. The general would come home leading his troops in triumphant victory. Coming behind would be the spoils and the captives he had conquered, naked and being led in chains. The homecoming crowd would gaze on them, cheer their victorious general. It was completely humiliating for the defeated foe. That is what God did to Satan and the forces of demons through the death and resurrection of Christ. 
Certainly we can make different applications there. But um, I think this description here is uh, emphasizing total victory. Uh, When it talks about um, disarm them, public spectacle, triumphing over them in it, uh, the idea here is total victory, complete deliverance. Satan is still loose, right? He's still on the loose, but as a defeated foe. His sentence has been handed down, is about to be carried out. He can still tempt us and try to scare us, but if we look to Jesus and depend on him, we will find him fully sufficient in our battle with Satan. Really, Satan can only get to us if we're not relying on Jesus. Uh, there's what the Bible encourages us to do, to come to the throne of grace. And finally here, in Christ we are complete. God, through the work of Christ, has done everything to set us free from sin and Satan. That's really the emphasis uh, from sin in the previous verses, from Satan here. This is all God's doing. We don't do it. It's not a matter of sacraments, good works, philosophy, religion, or whatever. The full answer to all our spiritual problems, both related to this life and eternity, all ultimate, uh, all ultimate answers are found in Jesus Christ alone. So again, I think we're, we see the, the emphasis on the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, the Gnostics were trying to emphasize all kinds of different things. Uh, secret insights into philosophy, asceticism, mysticism, legalism, whatever. Saying we need something more than Christ. And Paul is coming back, no, no, it's all in Christ. Uh, all the wisdom we need is found in Christ. The sufficiency, all we need is found in Jesus Christ as far as uh, the victory over sin. Uh, victory over Satan. It's all found in Jesus Christ. He is enough. He is sufficient. All right. Any other thoughts? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yep. Yep. Seriously. Seriously. Oh, unbelievable. So come, Lord Jesus. Yeah. You know, we live in a world that is satanic. Yeah. They have lost the battle. Yeah. They don't give up the Right. Praise God for the victory. All right. Well, amen, brother. Amen. That's right. All right. Anything else? Okay. Well, let's share some prayer requests. If you, does everybody have a prayer sheet?